This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we are going to review the penultimate episode of Season 2 of Lower Decks. But first, we've got some news to talk about, starting with uh, some of the stuff that's happening at New York Comic Con this weekend, which is going to keep us busy. They're doing big panels for Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Prodigy. The Prodigy one, they're going to show the first episode of the show. It's not the first two, right, Tony? Do you know? I'm not sure, but since they packaged the first two as a kind of single episode, I I think they are going to possibly show that full, what they consider two-episode premiere. Cool. And people are, I see people asking a lot of questions about, like, if they're, because right now they're offering a digital pass as well as going in person. And people are wondering, will the digital pass still get the Prodigy episode? And that, I don't know. Do you? I'm, ass- I'm assuming not. I know that you will be able to watch the panels. The Discovery panel is on Saturday. The Prodigy panel is on Sunday, depending on when you listen to this podcast. You want to check out our site. There's links to you know New York Comic Con where you can get this digital pass um, unless you're actually in New York and you could go. But almost always when screenings are shown at these events, those are never made available online just because of rights, right. et cetera, music and you know, all the usual stuff. But people are going to be coming out of it and they're going to be tweeting it. And, you know, I, I assume it's just going to be fans, you know, so that there's going to be spoilers and stuff like that because you're not going to be able to stop people. Unless you confiscate their phones, which, is, which nobody's going to do. You're going to be watching and we'll be covering the panels. Yep. And uh, we're also going to be talking to some of the celebrities behind the panels. Um, so look for more interviews on trekmovie.com for both Prodigy interviews and Discovery interviews coming up in the upcoming week. Because Prodigy arrives on the 28th of October and Discovery Season 4 arrives on the 18th of November. I'm also hoping that they have something to show from Discovery Season 4 also. Yeah, I don't expect anything new for Prodigy. Um because you know they, they are doing a big promotional campaign. They're running these commercials on TV now. They even ran the whole trailer during on CBS Sunday Night Movie, which was the 2009 Star Trek movie. So they're doing a you know they're doing an outdoor campaign. So there's a big push going on for Prodigy right now. But I don't expect a new trailer. But for Discovery, I don't know. It feels like if you do a panel, you got to do something, right? You got. I feel like they have to show something, which I hope they do. Right, because they didn't do a trailer on Star Trek Day. They'd already done a pretty big trailer on First Contact Day, right? So that's yeah, quite a while ago. So. Yeah. This is really the last event before season four. So I kind of feel like there's a trailer coming. Yeah, I sure hope so. And if so, it'll obviously be up on trekmovie.com. So check back in the site, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. Um, but that'll be up on the site on Saturday if they release a new trailer. And then the only other thing I wanted to say about Prodigy is the commercials that they're doing that, you know, that are running on Nick, um, on Nickelodeon, are definitely have a have a lighter tone and more goofy, a little more goofiness to them, I think. Definitely reiterating kids show. I mean, this was built for Nickelodeon originally. Right. And then I, you know, I feel like it's, I feel like you could cut those ads any way you wanted to make it seem dark or scary or to make it seem fun and wacky. And I think it's actually going to be a very cool combination of both 
but it's nice to see a bit of the uh, the lighter side on it on some of those new ones. Yeah, I mean, there's this buzz about the show. Variety ranked it as the twelfth most anticipated show of the fall. I know that Viacom, CBS are definitely seeing this as an important show for the franchise. So expect a lot more promotional stuff for Prodigy over the next couple weeks. I feel like everyone that I've shown the trailer to has said has been so interested like a friend of mine who said i haven't watched star trek in 30 years she said but i i'll watch this and you know old people young people it seems to be grabbing everybody we have some good news for fans in australia which is that prodigy is going to premiere on paramount plus australia on october 29th Um, and this is kind of a big deal this is the first time Paramount Plus outside the USA is going to show a Star Trek show at the same time as people in North America get it. Because Lower Decks did premiere on Paramount Plus Latin America, but you know that was just last month. So they had to wait over a year for that. This is kind of the beginning of the transition to the global Paramount Plus. And I think this will kind of become the new normal within a year or two. Uh, although we still don't have all the details on how Strange New Worlds is going to roll out, for example. But people in Europe will have to wait for Prodigy to come on to Paramount Plus in Europe because that doesn't exist yet. It won't exist until 2022. And we're not really sure about the rest of the world. Right. Well, it's a start. (laughs) (laughs) The only other show we have news for right now is... My last interview from Star Trek Day from one of the Star Trek Universe shows, which is my interview with Issa Briones, talking about season two of Star Trek Picard. She was pretty guarded. I was (laughs) going to say careful. Yeah. (laughs) Very careful. Yeah. She did talk about how Soji's evolving a lot um, in season two and, quote, coming into her own. And so I think we're going to see a lot of changes for the character in season two. But, you know, when I asked her, you know, tell me what season two is not about, but, you know, what what should fans be interested in season two? She said some interesting stuff. So let's just roll that clip. I would say that my favorite thing about it is that um, there's we're seeing um, these characters in a in a new light. And there's a big emphasis, I think, on uh, mental health for sure. We're seeing these characters going through some hard some hard moments and really leaning on each other and prioritizing their own mental health in order to save everyone else. And I think that's, that's a very relatable storyline and a storyline that we need right now. So this has me wondering what the heck she's talking about. Um, (laughs) We're seeing these characters going through hard moments and leaning on each other and prioritizing their own mental health in order to save everyone. I don't even, there's a, kind of oddly specific yet vague scenario (laughs) yeah i'm like what it it took me back i'm like what is this mental health thing um but you know i don't know maybe android is android picard going insane and have to go back through time or something everyone else on that ship is pretty messed up you have gerardi who's messed up seven's messed up rafi's messed up rios was like he had his whole weird breakdown thing that he went through Plus, he's the kind of guy who makes multiple holograms of himself. I don't know. There's a lot going on on that show. They're, they're all certainly <laughs> broken. Yes. 
they created a show, an adult oriented show of broken characters. Yeah. And, you know, a bunch of misfit toys on this ship. Noble and broken characters, which I like. Maybe in season two, they all get fixed up. They all go into therapy in Los Angeles. Or they're prioritizing <laughs> their own mental health in order to save everyone else. Yeah, I'm intrigued and confused. Another thing I asked her about, it, there's a kind of a weird thing about Soji where I think she's technically three years old, right? So so we're like in Kess territory. Yeah. <laughs> and so I wanted to see, you know, what does that mean as, you know, every year is kind of a big deal to someone technically that young. So I asked her, you know, w w what that's like. And she kind of took it into a different angle. Definitely when you're playing a young female character in sci-fi, it can be um, a little complicated, especially with the history of, of women in sci-fi. Um, oftentimes we've seen a lot of tropes of, of very like half-baked characters who are just like in their bra and underwear and that's all you really see them do. But thankfully we are heading out of that age and we've got a more fully formed character all around. We've got these amazing badass women in, in our show. I thought that was interesting because I was thinking about this trope, the born sexy yesterday trope, and she brought it up. I and mean, she didn't name it, but I, it's clear that's what she's talking about, the kind of sci-fi trope of over overtly sexualized women and that they're going out of their way to avoid that. Right. Well, I think specifically overly sexualized women without developed characters. Like you can have a well-developed character who's also very sexual and that is fine if that's who they are <laughs> right but, right there's nothing wrong with sex right. it's just she's, if that's all that there is right like they're just there to be you know looked at and to be the scenery <laughs> <laughs> anyway there's still a lot to learn for picard the showrunner is still out there tweeting images of the new ship um for season <laughs> he's, three he's so excited <laughs> so that's it for the star trek universe shows Let's go back into Star Trek history. There's something we've talked about before, um, like when we did the interviews with both Gates McFadden and Mark Altman, which is a documentary series they're both working on coming to the History Channel called The Center Seat, 55 Years of Star Trek. And this is made by the same people who made the Toys That Made Us documentary series on Netflix and some other things. Yeah, Star Trek documentary uh, years ago on the History Channel, too. That was good. We've been kind of wondering what's happening with this. This was announced a while ago. It was supposed to come out around the 55th anniversary, which was obviously last month. And we still don't have a release date. But this week we got a trailer, which is up on the site. And it's it, it looks good. Yeah. I mean, it's all talking heads, which is fun because the... Uh, Everyone they got, everyone in that trailer has something interesting to say. And there's a lot, you can tell that they're telling the truth. They're being honest about things as they're talking about them. So I, I think it looks great. It looks like the interviews are all really good. Yeah, I do worry about the too much talking head stuff. But yeah, every, every, they're obviously not avoiding controversial topics. Right. You know, people leaving shows and stuff like that. So they, they want it to be funny and perhaps provocative hopefully we'll have more details on that in the coming weeks yeah starting with how many episodes and when can we watch it but i think it looks <laughs> <laughs> the trailer makes me feel very optimistic that i'm gonna have some riveting television in front of me 
Now, speaking of big stars from past Star Trek shows, you had this incredible interview with Dana Visitor from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Why don't you tell us about that experience? That was, it was a crazy interview. I was supposed to have 20 minutes and we were just going to talk about the, she's working on a book called A Woman's Trek about women in Star Trek. She's working on a documentary that may or may not happen that goes with the book. So that was, we were supposed to have a good 20 minute chat about those projects. And it ended up being about an hour long discussion where we talked about that. We talked about Deep Space Nine. We talked about the role of women every, like in life and emotions and suppression. It was a great, a great conversation. I mean, she completely blew my mind, to be honest. She recommended a book to me that I've been reading and loving. I just, you should just read it. It's very long, so I apologize to everybody for that. (laughs) But the gist of the project that she's doing, which is fascinating to me, is just she wanted to go deep and talk to all of these women across Star Trek about their experience being involved with it. And she also talked to some men. Um, The two big ones were Brian Fuller, because she said he went into the business because of Kira Norris, because of her character, and Joe D'Agosta, the casting director from the original series, who obviously would have had a lot of insights into, you know, actresses auditioning and that whole process. So she's got a lot to say. And if, if, should we play some of it? I guess we should. Yeah. Why don't we play? I mean, we do a lot of interviews. I do a lot of interviews on the site recently and they're kind of short and sweet. Like, Hey, tell me what's coming up in season X, whatever. This is a whole different ball game. This is a great conversation between Lori and Nana and it's worth checking out in full and spending your time hearing what she has to say. So uh, why don't we run a clip of her talking about trying to go beyond the usual talking points uh, when she talks to these Star Trek women. Well, I'll tell you something. It's very, very hard to get people to not give their Star Trek sound bites. The thing yes. you know. <laughs> oh, I know. You know. <laughs> well, yeah, who am I telling? You yeah. know, they go into their thing, the stories that have been told, the, you know, the things that are approved, the things that get laughs at conventions. And I, that's... All that to me is the waves on the surface of the ocean. I want to go deeper than that. And some people will, some people won't. Yeah, I think everybody here knows exactly what she's talking about with the sound bites. <laughs> We've all heard those. And I obviously, based on the conversation I had with her, this woman can talk to get people talking because she's willing to go deep and she's fascinated by all of it. So I'm really excited about this project. I don't think I've seen someone else doing this kind of exploration. Yeah, I do hope that it becomes a documentary as well. Way before the Voyager doc was announced, the thing I was hearing was that they were working on a documentary that was going to be about women, the influence of Star Trek on women, women in Star Trek, with a big emphasis on Voyager for obvious reasons. Then I think that in a way, I think that may they may end up still doing that with this and doing the Voyager thing as its own, which they're obviously doing as their right. own thing because it's the same team who we're gonna who she's working with, right? Potentially, yes, yes. I'm excited about the book, but hopefully, it can also be a documentary as well. Yeah, it she's... sounds like a a nice focus, which you know I like a nice focus for her. Yeah, this is a great focus, and she's definitely filming all of her interviews, and she's doing as many in person as she can, given the situation. And then, you know, we also talked about a lot of other things, and one of them was about 
when she was on Deep Space Nine, because we're talking about women's wardrobe and clothing and roles and all of those things. And so, you know, I, I'd heard before that she had been sort of summoned. Rick Berman and producers wanted to talk to her and they felt that they had to soften her character. And one of the things that even I've heard her say before even is that, you know, they told her she walked like John Wayne and she couldn't walk by, she shouldn't walk like John Wayne. <laughs> and so and then she'd also she was hearing this from other people too so actually what she has to say about it is, is pretty interesting i got told by other women that's not how to be a woman that's not how women are strong but that's who i was that's right. how i walked that's who i and that's what I just wanted the freedom, even though it didn't look like even what other women thought I should look like. I wanted the ability to do that. So I went, okay, you, that the way I walk is a problem. Put me in heels. Then I can't walk that way. And this is what I felt. I felt like I was telling them, make me an antelope. Make me have hooves. And then the lion can feel like he can catch me. I mean, I find this fascinating in that, you know, I admit that you often as a band, you kind of just forget how things are different on the other side, as it were. And things like having to wear heels on a show changes a performance. And so I find that kind of fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it's I'm I'm not a heels wearer myself, but I do know, like, I don't know if this is true. I feel like I read it a long time ago, but that Jerry Ryan said, if you're going to put me in the cat suit, at least give me heels, which is, <laughs> you know, interesting because I think, how the hell do you walk in those? But there are women, who, obviously, who learn to walk in their heels, but it's, I have a whole conspiracy theory about high heels anyway, but I just think it makes no sense for uh woman for Kira Norris to wear heels really no she was not wearing heels when she was you know fighting the Cardassians right so uh yeah that was kind of yeah you know, but, but at least she wasn't fully cat suited I mean they really didn't no, do that no, until I mean but then again um Marina wasn't fully cat suited either I mean she kind of I guess some of the outfits were semi cat suit and then she had the plunging net neckline yeah but they were but they were different they were like here's the sexy woman on the show and she has her own sexier outfit than everyone else right which they had the logic there of her being the counselor so maybe it made her more logic is you know, a generous and kind word to use <laughs> for that exactly because you know we recently watched an episode i borg and i you know it still looks jarring when they're having a very serious conversation (laughs) you know everyone's talking like should we do this genocide of the borg and there she is you know this like purple kind of garish outfit it just feels (laughs) wrong you know it's like why who's this person why is she in this meeting and what you know why everyone else is in a uniform and you know just it you know it just didn't work and i'm you know we're, we're so glad for chain of command where they finally put her in a uniform one of the great things about the new shows is starting with discovery no cat suits right right and i mean look Karen norris was a strong character and yet they softened her i i felt by the end they softened her a little too much for my taste but she it's so interesting that people were talking about you know how to be a strong woman to her when that was she was a strong woman and that was who she was 
And right? she was getting this feedback from other women, which women, was yes, who are saying that's weird. not. She's like, but that is how I do it. So, I mean, definitely to some degree, times have changed. To a great degree, they haven't. So, if you're interested in this topic, um, we really dug in for a while. <laughs> so, go to the site and read it. Speaking of books, there's some kind of significant stuff happening in the world of Star Trek books and comics, which is in the last few weeks, the Star Trek Year 5 series has ended. And this has been running for over two years. And it was a very ambitious project where they put together a writer's room to kind of do a series of episodes over multiple issue arcs for Star Trek Year 5 of the five-year mission of Kirk. And it just wrapped up. And then they did a special CODA issue, which was out this week. So we've uh, check out the site for reviews and previews of all of that. But it, it was a pretty big series, and hopefully IDW still does these big ambitious things. They're starting a next-gen Mirror Universe thing, which they've kind of been obsessed over. <laughs> they keep on dipping back into next-gen Mirror, because they never did next-gen Mirror on the show. Right. right? That was... So they've been, you know, and, and people have liked those, but I'd like to just see a, a, just a regular next generation thing for them to do. Yeah. We still don't know what's happening in 2022, but it was kind of, it's kind of the end of a little era on the comic side with the end of year five on the book side. It's a major end of an era, which is from Star Trek Nemesis. They've been doing all of these books, doing all sorts of crazy stuff for the TNG DS9 and Voyager characters because there were no TV shows or movies. They were doing, you know, the J.J. Abrams was off doing his own universe. So the book people got to do anything they wanted, basically, and all sorts of crazy stuff happened. Yeah. I mean, I was I was looking at the, uh, the article on our site because this isn't a world I'm particularly familiar with. And just the list of wacky things that have happened in these books is fantastic. Yeah, the Borg have been destroyed. Cisco comes back from the wormhole. They destroyed DS9. They rebuild DS9. I mean, you know, it, there's been a lot of books. But, you know, when Patrick Stewart got on stage three years ago and said, I'm back, um, that kind of put a monkey wrench into all of this because that meant, and it is, you know, Star Trek Picard is coming and it's going to start redefining canon after Nemesis. And it's not just Picard. You got Lower Decks and Discovery. So, you know, CBS and Paramount got back into the filmed canon business and it was, you know, they were obviously not going to pay attention to everything that had been done in the books. So <laughs> no, that would be far <laughs> too much to keep up with. <laughs> right. And they started releasing new books. So there's been Picard tie-in books, there's been Discovery tie-in books, and then there's more to come. And, you know, hopefully there's even going to be Lower Decks tie-in books, who knows? So, but what was nice was they let some of the authors, um, and in this case, there were kind of three core authors who got together and formed a plan and said, okay, look, we know we're not going to continue doing these post-Nemesis books, but let us kind of wrap things up. And So it's Dayton Ward, James Swallow, and David Mack. So the trilogy of books called Coda, the first one came out in September. The review went up on our site this week. The second one comes out this month. Um, and then the final one comes out in November and then that's it. And, you know, the review, I'm not going to get into spoilers, but, you know, what, you know, they're going out with a bang. He, he described it as kind of like the Avengers end game, basically. 
Um, <laughs> don't expect everyone to make it. It's the only spoiler I'll, uh, I'll put out there. But it sounds pretty amazing. So certainly if you've been a fan of these books, you should check it out. The question is, if you haven't been keeping up on these books, is it worth checking out? Because there's going to be a lot of book characters that you may not even, you know, like, you know, the Picard's kid, right? You've never, but it might be fun to check out anyway, just to kind of jump in at the end and see what happened. And then maybe you can go back and check out some of these books. <laughs> Definitely check out the review. It's a good, it's well-written and uh, it'll let you know if it's something you want to read or not. We got a couple quick follow-ups from last week's podcast. So last week we said there were rumors that William Shatner was going into space, and we were pretty sure those rumors are true. Well, now 100% they're true. He's going to be the oldest person to go into space. On October 12th, you can watch it live in the morning. And it's been all over the news. He's been trending on Twitter. Like, everybody's talking about it. Celebrities are tweeting things. It's such, it's, it's crazy, man. And I'm just... He just astounds me. It's global news. You know, I get these Star Trek, you know, news alerts and, and I've seen stuff from Germany and all over yeah. the world. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, CNN did a thing on it. Colbert did a skit about it. it you know, it, it was, it's, it's huge. It was, it's kind of a genius move for Blue Origin, which is the Jeff Bezos company. Yeah. Obviously Shatner's not paying for this. They've certainly one upped. Richard Branson's company. So now <laughs> yeah. Branson's going to have to bring Mark Hamill into space. Yeah. Or I mean, he's bringing Captain Kirk. I don't think you can do better than that. They're definitely getting a lot of coverage out of it for sure. We had another follow-up last week. We were talking about how there's going to be a, potentially a Hollywood strike and there was going to be a vote. The vote happened. Union did authorize the strike, but the strike still hasn't happened because they're still negotiating Although word is they're still not seeing eye to eye yet with the producers. So we're closer to a strike, but it hasn't happened yet. But the, the, the overwhelmingly, they voted to authorize a strike. Yeah, and they had a really big turnout. So this sort of tells the people they're negotiating with that they're, they're serious. All right. I think we could now finally talk about Lower Decks. Everything about this week's episode is different, including the name. <laughs> and because the name is different, I reached out to a friend who is a Klingon expert, and I'm going to bring him in as a special guest to explain how we pronounce the title. Hi, this is Levin Lita, your Klingon teacher from Germany. Thanks a lot for the invitation, and here's a quick information on today's episode title of Lower Decks, which is pronounced Wage Dooge, meaning three ships. In case you wondered about the case of the letters, the letter W is always lowercase in Klingon and Klingon letters never change their case. Also, the D in the word Dooge is always uppercase. So far, enjoy the show and good luck learning Klingon. Kapla. So it's Wedge Dooge. That's my best. <laughs> right. We never actually hear it in the, you know, the episode. No. Right. But it's written in uh, Klingon letters. So this is the first time a Star Trek episode has used Klingon in the titles. The whole notion of three ships is the structure of the episode, which itself I thought was fascinating. What did you think? I thought, I mean, I thought it was creative and different, which I liked. Um, I think it, it did that episode a disservice because it's right on the tail of, I think, three back-to-back great ones 
for me. So I feel like if I had seen this before all of those, I would have been like, oh, that was really great. And I liked it and it was fun, but I, I didn't like it as much as I've loved the last few. And it wasn't sort of as packed with good stuff, but they did some great, fun, new things. And I particularly loved the Vulcan ship. How about you? At the beginning of the season, when I talked to Mike, you know, and to the actors, they all talked about how the show has a new confidence. And this is another one of those things that they could have never done in season one. And they couldn't have done even early in season two. And so I like the fact that they're feeling confident. They're willing to take risks. They're willing to do something strange. Even one of Mike's favorite episodes and an inspiration for the show is the episode of Next Generation called Lower Decks, which focused on a bunch of brand new characters. I feel like in a way, this episode is the lower decks version of lower decks. And so instead of finding even lower deck people on the Cerritos, they focused on the lower decks people on other ships and introduced us to these new characters who became such an important part of this episode. Yeah. and, And drew me in immediately for sure. Like I was into those characters and what their little adventure was going to be. So you liked Talyn on the Vulcan cruiser. I think just because she would just say these very measured things and they would say things like she has lost all control. Like every time, (laughs) get a hold of yourself. These outbursts will not be tolerated. And she simply spoke in a very calm tone. So I loved it because they were just every time it happened, I thought that was good and funny. She was essentially the mariner of the Vulcan ship, right? She was great, you know, from their point of view, she was just so unconventional and out of control. (laughs) Right. Whereas on the Klingon ship, our focus character is essentially the Boimler of the ship, a little smaller, kind of nerdy, very ambitious. Ambitious. Yeah. So we had the mariner Boimler dynamic was still at the core of the show, but they were through these avatars on these other two ships. And then, you know, but we still got the Cerritos, obviously. Boimler was our point of view character to take us through kind of a bunch of little fun moments on the Cerritos. It, you know, it, it almost reminded me of like um, Data's Day or the Voyager episode Alter Ego, which had the Luau, right? <laughs> but it also in that one, you know, you, you had Kim going off to do his Vulcan try to be Vulcan uh, thing, you know, where, you know, explorations of these characters off duty moments, essentially, right. right. Which we know Mike is fascinated with, but I agree with you. It wasn't life out loud funny. Right. And it wasn't sort of as packed even with, with not just jokes, but sort of moments and scenes, but there were, there were a lot of them. I mean, when I look back over it, I go, well, I did know quite a few of them, but I guess, yeah, I mean, it needed to breathe a little bit because we we're meeting a lot of new characters and new scenarios. But the editing and writing was very clever in the way that it would flow. So, oh yeah, Boim- Boimler says, "Oh, you know, life on a Klingon ship." I'm sure that was you know structured. That would be great. And then we go to the Klingon ship, and then the Klingons make fun of Vulcans, and you go to the Vulcan ship, and then right. the Vulcans. The captain says, "Oh, you're being like a child." And then we cut to Boimler going, "Wee." with his you know so i think the pacing was great especially for something that's you know kind of showing us these characters in in 
more quiet moments, although at the end it gets certainly action packed. Yeah, I agree. The the flow was really well done and worked, I think, the whole time. I did love the Klingons when they were making fun of Vulcans and said, Avoid death and cower. <laughs> yeah, they even they nailed the Vulcan salute. So, you know, they, they know, you know, they know what they're talking about. You did feel that the Klingon, you know, even though it was fun, the Klingon ship was true to what we know about Klingons. It was oh, all totally. spot on. Yeah. It looked right, it sounded right. It wasn't a parody of a Klingon ship. It felt right. And the same with the Vulcan ship. Although I have to say this, which is, you know, this is super nerdy, nitpicky, but obviously they wanted to create the structure of different ships. And they're like, wouldn't it be great to do a Vulcan ship? But did we know in, especially next generation canon era, that not only do the I mean, Vulcans obviously have their own ships and they mention ships, but that they have their own fleet of ships outside their system that are giant, powerful ships, you know, with shields and weapons and they're off doing their own missions outside of Starfleet. And certainly, I mean, they're using, because we haven't seen that before, they had to go back and use an Enterprise design, which showed you that they're kind of, creating a little bit of canon here to say, yeah, the Vulcans kind of have their own parallel fleet going on, even though we know that Starfleet's full of Vulcans. But does it make sense to you that the Vulcans have their own significant, powerful fleet in the 24th century? Yes. Makes total sense. Uh, Yeah. I mean, and everyone on the ship was acting as you would expect, and the ship looked great inside and out. And we did actually see a Vulcan ship on the space station they visited early in the season, uh, kind of a smaller, but still the same style. So they, they, you know, they kind of built up to this to say, yeah, the Vulcans are still out there, still using ships of this design. And uh, yeah, I thought it was a cool ship. Right. Well, let's talk about our character development for our, our people (laughs) that we know already. (laughs) I thought it was very, again, the evolution of Boimler is very interesting because he does have more confidence, but he's still his him. He's still himself. And so he's still trying to learn how to be himself and impress at the same time. And so I thought this was, I mean, it wasn't a big surprise that he was going to pretend to be from Hawaii, which I did enjoy. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then realizing, Oh, he should tell the truth. And then he tells the truth. And then it turns out no one is. And then already he, is trying to fit in again by trying to stretch the truth a little. So he's still, he's, he's getting there, but he's not there yet. He's from Modesto, right. California. Yep. Which is not really a moon. the moon no. of San Francisco. No, but I did, I did like when he was uh, jealous about them talking about the moon. Cause he said, they're probably talking about tides and werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which is not what people who live on moons talk about. So obviously, well, do you know any people who live on moons? N- fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> he he only got there because he was kind of not able to find a bridge buddy, and it, I did love the little brief. K- we got a little Kayshawn, you know, mm-hmm. and he, he kind of screws up speaking into Marion and insults poor Kayshawn, who's trying to lose weight apparently. Right. But it raises that, you know, he said it was the replicators could make everything and that was his problem. And I still wonder, can you ask the replicator to make you an ice cream sundae with the nutritional value of broccoli? It's an important question. That's my big question. Even though we had these other characters, these new characters, the Klingons, 
and the Vulcans. Everyone had a moment in this episode. Each of the bridge officers did, and we even had moments with all of our ensigns. I liked the little visit to the pottery class. <laughs> I loved the pottery class. I loved Rutherford going, get out of here, rage. <laughs> He's saying to get his emotions out. And whatever that weird thing was that Shax was making, like a giant dick rock or something he was creating <laughs> it was, there. It, it was curious the <laughs> it all it also showed that there is a lot of character development happening with rutherford and Shax, because of course earlier you know rutherford didn't know why Shax sacrificed himself and now rutherford kind of seems to be in the circle of trust he knows that Shax definitely has ptsd issues from his time you know in the resistance fighting fascism on bajor so we're getting off screen, essentially, character development for Rutherford. Well, he has baby bear after all. <laughs> exactly. I, I found the, the the visit with Ta'ana and the recreation of the Star Trek V scene a little gratuitous. It just seemed like it, let's recreate this Star Trek V moment that, right down to the T-shirt. Well, the T-shirt is irresistible. <laughs> I mean, once I mean, you're was... there, you have to do, I mean, I, I could see them just doing it for the t-shirt because it was such a weird moment anyway in the movie. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, I, I get it. I didn't feel that way watching it, but I understand why you feel that way. I, I think my favorite moment was of the, of his little journey was when he tried to butt in on Mariner and, her mother and they were having a very personal very female conversation while doing phaser training and he was like desperate to get out of the room they didn't even notice he snuck in because it, it kind of showed how he's kind of lonely but uh, he knew that it was not the right time to say hey what's going on well here's the thing i'm for sure that's got to be star trek's first mention of periods <laughs> because they talked about cramps and I'm like, and I remember like Loxana was going through this crazy change, but this was like hot flashes and menopause talk. And all I have to say is thank you for finally mentioning that those things exist. Star Trek. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> so I guess Captain Freeman is going through that right now. Yeah. I like the way the Boimler story concluded, because even though he did kind of have to fess up about not being Hawaiian in the end, he still has the respect, which is what he desperately craves. Yeah, well, right? by being him again, by being himself and not by kissing up to anybody. So Ransom, who we've seen this earlier, has sees him as a valuable crew member, very organized, and he sends over. I was a little unclear who that guy was. It was a new character, but is he also an ensign? Because he wasn't wearing. Yeah, he had like a different uniform and he had freckles to show how young he was so was he like an acting ensign or a cadet or something but it was basically they were saying this person is under ensign right. or a new ensign or something like that yeah I, because... I was i figured cadet but i wasn't sure right because he referred to boimler as sir but boimler referred to him as a fellow officer so it's probably cadet but I thought, you know, it again shows how Boimler should be a lieutenant at this point. He was, and then they bumped him down for no reason. And 
I think how long can they keep this going into season three where he doesn't finally get that promotion? Oh, I don't know. As long as they need to. <laughs> they can keep coming up with reasons. Because <laughs> it isn't like The Simpsons where they're constantly kind of resetting the timeline. I think these characters are growing and changing. And I think eventually they're going to rank up. Yep. And we'll see how that affects the premise of the show. But I always think, well, Harry Kim stayed in Ensign for an awfully long time and was doing way more important life-saving stuff than they've been doing so far. So there is precedent set. (laughs) So it was an experimental episode with the new characters, you know, but did feed into a lot of great character development. We saw some good stuff with Mariner and her mom and how they're bonding. They're playing some weird version of Clue. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But there was a lot of plot stuff happening because it all tied together to, you know, what was happening on the Klingon ship and what was happening on the Vulcan ship. It all culminates at the end when everyone comes together was all tied together through plot, but also tied together through kind of hanging stuff we had for season two, which is the pack leads and yeah you've been waiting for more information on the pack leads for who's, right. who's they, been we, helping them you've been bringing the, that up i think almost every week right who's the puppet master it was interesting that they just made it this this kind of rogue klingon yeah i never want to you know slam a show for saying well you didn't do what i was hoping you were going to do so therefore it's bad i thought you were going in a different way but i am surprised that they wrapped that up. I mean, it's not entirely wrapped up, but I thought they were going to wait for the season finale to reveal the puppet master. And they not only revealed the puppet master, but killed him. Yep. You know, there's obviously going to be stuff to deal with regarding the Klingons and the pack leads, but in a way that's mostly resolved. Yeah. I mean, my note to myself, as I was watching, I wrote down, um, rogue Klingon being behind the pack leads wasn't super interesting, but I wasn't all that invested in it anyway. So that for me wasn't like a big mystery storyline. I hadn't really latched onto it that much anyway. So having it just go away in a small, fun way was fine. <laughs> but the pack leads did leave and they did get another bomb, or <laughs> as they, we did learn a lot of fun <laughs> pack led terminology in this one like red alert is red alarm yes i love i love that and the ships are called clump ships um <laughs> and named pack <laughs> they're, they're just not that smart but they did get another bomb uh which they refer to as a boomer from the klingons so there is that ship out there and maybe they're still going to try to use the boomer on earth. So I guess that, you know, my guess is we're going to still see that in the finale. Well, we'll find out soon. We're almost there, man. It's crazy. I really liked the battle. Um, You know, they had the music from the movie era and the way the ships moved is, you know, the kind of classic slow arcing Napoleon era battle style, which was made really famous during Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan. And I, I'm glad that they're still using that on this show because um, some of the new other new Star Trek shows are kind of the more Star Wars rapid fire battle scenes. Right. Um, and, you know, when the Vulcan ship showed up and it's just enormous and it was, it was very dramatic and, you know, it was a great action scene, I think, especially 
in this episode and the kind of the pacing that this episode have to suddenly jump into this kind of major battle and how have all these little fun moments really were leading up to it, this very significant moment. But it, I thought it fit well, and I'm a ship's guy, so I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I just, I mean, I'm not such a ship's battle person, but the show just looks gorgeous, and that I appreciate when I'm watching it, for sure. The battles are very colorful, though. That, that's kind of one thing that they've added, that, you know, the, the phaser bursts and things when they hit the shield, they go, there's a, almost a rainbow effect that they get into. So they have, you know, done some stuff to change it up a little bit, but... No, I, I really, I really like that. And of course, you know, the, the Vulcans show up, they kick some ass and then they just leave. Right. They're <laughs> so, done. Yeah. And what did the, Captain Freeman said something? Oh, he must be fun at parties. Or yeah. Something. <laughs> yeah. Something. something. <laughs> they didn't really have a major guest star. They had a lot of their kind of stable of people that they bring in to do various voices. Of great people. I thought everyone was spot on. Yeah. Everyone so, was great. Yeah. I think that the the whoever played the Vulcan character, uh, Talim, I I suspect that we're going to see that character again. What do you think? Yeah, I think she's coming on board the Cerritos. She's joining Starfleet. I think that's going to happen. It kind of bothered me that she saw it as a punishment to join Starfleet a little bit. Um, What do you think? I hadn't thought about if it bothered me. Wouldn't someone like that see the opportunity? I mean, obviously she did... You know, this gets back to how do Vulcans see Starfleet? I mean, obviously, Sarek had an issue with it, but that's because he's kind of a dick, yep. right? But there were plenty of Vulcans in Starfleet in the 23rd century and certainly in the 24th century. And we never got a sense that Vulcans looked down on being in Starfleet. You look at someone like Tuvok and stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very honorable thing to do. You could still be a good Vulcan and a good member of Starfleet. And it... That little moment where she viewed it as, because I think the captain rightly saw that she would fit well in Starfleet the way she thought. With her crazy, wacky behavior. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) On all her outbursts. Yes. um, Oh, my God. And intuitions. I mean, I guess it it leaves time for her to grow if we're going to see more of her, for her to, you know, realize that, yeah, it's the right thing for her to do to be in Starfleet. Yeah, and and get to be friends with. Um, she gets Boimler. to hang out. She gets to hang out with the gang. Go to pottery yeah. class. You know, eat some ramen. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Speaking the, uh, of eating, by the way, do you you know what I've started noticing? All the different food that they eat. Like Rutherford really likes these purple muffins because he has them a lot, and I think burritos. But and like uh, Mariner was looked like she had a big plate of nachos or something, and then. Boimler was just eating a bowl of mush. I'm always very interested in the food that they have. <laughs> yeah, I've seen him eat that before. Ago. Yeah, I saw they were all eating the mush one episode. And then a few episodes ago, the senior officers, they had those colored blobs that sometimes Kirk and company would have. You know, those plates of like just colored shapes. <laughs> and Boimler, Boimler was so excited last episode about the new food options with the with the replicator it's surprising that he goes back to the oatmeal or whatever yeah. it was unless his time in the collective is really just um <laughs> you know where he just wants nutrition now and he doesn't see any joy in food anymore who knows oh i hope not get Poor him a guy. purple muffin yeah <laughs> i was hoping that uh that tendy would get some pesto because she seemed to enjoy it so much the week before 
<laughs> I think there was a breakfast. Who knows? It's our hard to t- hard to tell. In yeah, space, I right? think it was their first meal of the day, but the nachos was an interesting choice. <laughs> well, but it's it's Mariner, you know. So yeah. you know, every every time of the day is a good time for nachos from her point of view. <laughs> you know, the the I did you know again going back to the different ships. There were you know, each time we visit a ship, it was always four lower deckers together and we also got a quick glimpse of the packlet lower deckers who were especially packlety right um <laughs> yeah they were like super packlets surround because again on on the food thing they were surrounded by piles of their mushroom paste and one of them was going i am hungry <laughs> <laughs> So in a in a sense, this was five ships instead of three ships because you know the the end of the episode, which again is breaking up the structure, but it was funny to just cut to the Borg cube. Yes, and and you've got four drones, but they're just in their alcoves because that's what life is. Because they're they're all basically lower deckers. Yeah, everybody. I was gonna say every they're all everything. Everybody is everything. But that was that was a, a clever cube. I mean, that's the thing about this episode is there's a lot of amusing there's a lot of things it's very it was a very dry wit this whole episode yeah, was yeah. just a very dry wit they, they weren't going for the big laughs but there was a lot of little laughs or you know or just things that make you smile but not laugh but yeah you know, so i enjoyed it for that reason even though it was less funny it wasn't that they were they were doing jokes that didn't land yeah no it was it was a different tone exactly do you have favorite any favorite lines that we haven't mentioned yet well i, I liked when Captain Freeman, you're getting back to the packlets. Let's give the packlets a taste of their own mushrooms. Um, I thought that was fun. And when the Klingon says, Klingon blood runs as reddish pink as ever. <laughs> it was very pink. <laughs> as it should be. What about I you? Think, I think one of my favorites was on the Klingon ship where the other, the other lower deck Klingon guy says, save me a seat at lunch unless I die an honorable death. And then someone else can have it. <laughs> like, I feel like their their attitude on Klingons is so spot on because it is what they sound like, but it's making fun of them at the same time. And, you know, I always found the Klingons a little overly dramatic and serious. Right. So. Like, the you know, when when his targ passes the leg bone, it was an it was an honorable passing. Right. You know. Exactly. Exactly. They got just the right tone. I also loved Shaq's saying that he was going to make a cute little ashtray for his incense and it's going to look like a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he has a very sweet side to him. And, but there's a lot of there's a lot of rage in there. Yeah. There, well, there was a there was a very dark element there at the end when he says, you know, Klingons want to die in battle and he goes, "I get I get that." Yep. Yep. He not only wants to die in battle, he has done it. Yes, saving little baby bear. Maybe they're just going to keep on having him sacrifice himself and come back. Maybe this is going to be a thing for him. I don't know. There was a line Boimler was worried about being found found out for not being Hawaiian. He was afraid that Ransom was going to demote him to a penal colony where he would have to mate with the enemy and form a new civilization. Is that referring to something i don't know it i seems was so specific i was trying to think of what it was it has to be referring to something but i yeah. i don't know what it is but i'm sure that someone on twitter does 
by the time we get to do our Easter egg analysis, if this is a connection to something, we will. And there were, you know, a lot of list, little Easter eggs. There was, you know, if you notice in the in the bar in the background, someone had one of the the game headpieces on. Oh. <laughs> so the game is back, you know. And That's awesome. I missed that somehow. That's great. We also saw the when we've seen her before, but a kind of a closer look at the crew person or the officer who's um wearing hijab yep uh, there's a lot of little details in this episode um on all the ships rutherford was playing with his ds9 model which yeah. Jenny gave him yep and we got a new piece of merch i could only assume the t-shirt the captain oh for wearing. sure for sure because don't think they have a t-shirt club kind of thing anyway right well that's different the, the t-shirt club i mean maybe they will do it with that um, but the t-shirt clubs is usually very episode specific where she was wearing the t-shirt that just said Ritos in the same way the discovery t-shirts that say disco. Right. But it's episode specific because it's the first time we've seen it and it was in this episode. So if I were doing, if I were doing the designs for that week, that's what I would do. That would be one of them. Maybe, but I, I think this is going to be, cause there's a, the t-shirt club that's run by Titmouse is kind of its own thing. I think this is going to be a, shirt you can get at the star trek store. like the disco shirts like the disco shirt yep. for sure in fact i kind of razzed mike about that on twitter and he's like the episode's not even out yet you know give us time you know so i think it's coming so right we'll see i think that's kind of it for this one right yeah i mean we could you know go on and on and on but uh i'm assuming there's some kind of major big huge action-packed finale so i think this was a a fun way to set up the finale it was an interesting diversion in a way and i really liked it you know it, maybe it's not my favorite of the season but it was a very strong episode and i'm really glad they did it yeah i mean i liked it and i liked again i liked the stretch i like being ambitious breaking up the form doing something different so it was and it was very well executed so do all vulcans say sensors yeah i think so <laughs> i mean spock and tuvok both said it that's just a Vulcan thing. Yeah. They've all got that same haircut and they all say sensors. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. So uh, we have one little bit of Lower Deck merch news, I guess, which is that the soundtrack's coming out. 53 tracks from uh, both seasons of the show. That comes out on Friday. So when this podcast is released, you can get the soundtrack. So let's jump on to our bits of the week. I'm going to use my bits to just give a shout out to... Levin Lutar, who is goes also by the name uh, My Klingon Teacher, my German friend, who uh, <laughs> told us how to pronounce this episode and gave us a little insight into Klingon. He's got his own YouTube channel, which is the My Klingon Teacher YouTube channel. He literally does teach Klingon in schools, and he's he's done a, a book. He did The Little Prince. He did a translation of that and released that as a book. And he's just a big member of the Klingon community, which I find fascinating that there is such a thing. <laughs> yes, there are a lot of them, actually. The funny, my big question is, does he speak Klingon with a German accent? He can't help but do it. And right. by the way, if you've, see, if you've seen him when he, he does these videos, he does them in a couple of different ways. My favorite is he, he dresses in a, in a suit. But with full Klingon, make you know makeup. So just he's you know so he looks like a Klingon accountant. You know it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> well, someone's got to do it. Well, it was very nice of him to help us out. 
with this episode title. What's your bit of the week? My bit of the week is from way back in December of 1987. And it's, you know, a lot of these Star Trek actors did game shows. We've talked about William Shatner before because he was the king of them. But this came up. It's it's a version of Password called Super Password. Um, <laughs> and two of the, it's always they pair a celebrity with a contestant. That's how Password always works. And so the two celebrities in this episode were James Doohan and Michael Dorn. And it was just a thing of beauty to watch these two. One of the one of the words that they had to try and help their partners guess was Scottish, and that didn't go as easily as you would think that it would have. But it's just it's short and sweet and funny and old and nostalgic. Great stuff. Love the eighties. Check out a link to that in our show notes and in the article on trekmovie.com. And thank you for listening to another episode of All Access Star Trek. Next week will be the season finale of Lower Decks. And then there'll be a week where we'll have another episode. And then we'll start with Prodigy the week after that. Oh, my goodness. Get ready, folks. And so come to our post. Leave comments. Tell us what you think of our episode. Tell us what you think Brad meant when he talked about the penal colony. (laughs) And that's it. Bye.